Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Amen. It is indicative of victory today, amen, that you have clapped your hands unto the Lord. I won't keep you standing much longer. You will meet me in the book of Genesis. I want to say how delighted I am to be here. Uh, I told Pastor Boyd earlier in the service, I said, you can't, you can't even begin to believe how happy I am that I'm here. Amen. I am thrilled to be among like precious faith, people of uh, good character and people that are seeking the face of the Lord and discovering the truths of God. Thank you, Brother Boyd, for the invitation to come and uh, continuing your ongoing friendship into my life, into my ministry. And uh, there's not enough time in the day to tell you uh, how much I do appreciate uh, this man and over the years how he has uh, either by design or unwittingly spoken into my life for whatever reason God has used him to do so. And I am eternally grateful for that. Amen. I want you to meet me again in the book of Genesis. I know we have visited uh, this book many times. This is probably my favorite book of the Bible. I don't know how, if you've got a favorite or if that's even legal to have, but I enjoy reading the book of Genesis. So if I can take us back to this story again, uh, I want to squeeze something out of it that I feel like the Lord has shared with me. Is that okay? Amen. I really feel like God has shared this with me. Even my coming here the days prior to today, uh, this has been heavy on my mind. And uh, this morning, very early in the 4 o'clock hour, I got up and got ready and eased over in here. I wanted to make sure one more time that this is for you. And I really feel like this is for us today. In the book of Genesis chapter 3, I want to read verse number 6 through verse number 11, the Bible said, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Verse seven says, and the eyes of them both were open and they knew, everybody say they knew, They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, and they heard the voice of the Lord walking, the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he, the Lord, said, Who told thee that thou was naked? 
Savior, thank you today for your truth, for this word that will live and abide forever. I pray, God, that you would give us clear direction this morning, that every soul that has come to this house is by your design. You have brought them here. And God, with intent today, you have brought us together. God, I pray your anointing one more time to mantle your servant. God, touch our minds that we might understand. Give us a hungry heart today to seek after you, and we'll be careful to praise you for it. In the name of Jesus, and everyone say, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. God bless you so much. I know that this is a very familiar passage of Scripture, and uh, for those of you that uh, have been astute, avid readers of the Bible, you probably have begun your year in the book of Genesis. Uh, I, think that, I think that is one of the best things that a child of God can do is to foster and embrace some kind of reading regimen of the Word of God. When we read here about the making of Adam, I find it, uh, as I stop, as I give pause to the, the, the whole story, uh, I'm still as amazed as I was as a child uh, hearing about this from the Sunday school room. But I find it so intriguing how God, uh, through the process of making things, culminated creation with the making of man. Uh, he made the earth, he made the waters to be separated from the land. He made the sky, the uh, light to be separated from darkness. He called something that out of nothing. Uh, he made the trees of the fields, the grasses of the meadows and pastures, the fish of the sea, the great whales, the Bible said he made, all of the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, but he culminated this after seeing everything that he made and seeing it and observing it, he said it was good. But when he made man, I find it, as I said, so intriguing how the crowning achievement of creation could bring him so much joy and yet more grief than anything else that he made. That mankind in all of God's meticulous time-consuming effort and endeavor that he put in the making of man could bring him so much heartache throughout his existence. Had it not been for mediators like Moses who would stand between humanity and God, humanity would have been wiped off the map long ago. But because that there were men that chose to be intercessors and stand between the porch and the altar and say, God, give me another chance, as God began to curse the fig tree for its lack of fruit, he said, the gardener said, let me dung around it. Let me water it. Let me fertilize it. Let me care for it another year and give it another opportunity. Aren't you thankful for people of God, for men of God, for pastors in our life, that through our years that oftentimes, though we were completely benighted to it, oftentimes, they would stand between us and eternity crying to God, let me work with them another year. Give me another opportunity to do for them and make out of them what you want us to be. God began to form out of the dust of the earth something that he would give shape to and then subsequently breathe into and give life to that we see in verse number 7 of chapter 2 that he formed man of the dust of the ground 
And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Modern day science and technology have discovered the, uh, I guess you will, the details, the, the minuscule details that were laid out during the period of, of uh, making a human within the womb. God, it was, told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew who you were. That even before then, God knew us. But when that uh, conception took place, God began to do the forming of every man and woman known. Today, God formed us. Uh, Consensus have told us that there's some six billion plus people on the face of the globe. That's not even counting all the preceding generations. If you were to, if you were to calculate all of that, who knows the billions of people, and yet none of them look the same. None of them are identical. Even identical twins aren't perfectly identical. But God made them, and he took such time in forming them that he might have spoke the fields into existence, the trees and the fruit-bearing trees he spoke into existence, the fish and the fowl and the beast of the field, but not so with man. He took his time, and he made man. Science tells us that even our fingernails will require some Uh, seven days in the making that God took such care in making you and I that even your fingernails, he took a week. That if you cannot hear with your physical ear the cry of your child or your name being called by your mother, that God has made a part of you that can hear even the God of glory. He makes sure in the making of who you are that you're able to hear him. going to hear somebody speak to your heart and while you might not hear him with your natural ear no doubt you will hear him with your heart today it was Abraham that lived just shy of 200 years and only eight times in the Bible does it record God speaking to Abraham you might be one of those that hear God every morning and every evening I heard God tell me what to do today. No matter how petty or inconsequential the task was, I heard God speak today. God bless you if you're one of those individuals. Abraham was not one of those. Eight times he heard God speak to him. But to us today, while we might not hear him in the thunder and we might not feel the earthquake, there are times when you feel the Spirit of the Lord moving on your heart that he made and put the beating thereof involuntary to us, but he put it there. And he wants to make sure that you recognize him when he comes into the room. Already today, God has made manifest his majesty and magnificence. And I believe all of us, I feel certain to say, have witnessed that majesty when God opened the windows of heaven and poured it out. You saw men being touched. You saw women receiving strength. Amen. I want to see them born of the Spirit as John was hearing God speak to him. As Nicodemus was hearing Jesus speak to him. I too want to see men and women born of the water and of the Spirit of God. Yes, sir. God, let me hear you that I might have the right thing to say. What a great privilege it was for Adam every morning. The cool of the day, whether that was the morning or the evening, I'm inclined to think it was the morning. 
since that is my favorite time of the day, I think God spoke to him in the morning. Since Jesus said, they that seek me early shall find me, I am inclined to think that it was early in the morning. So I'm just going to say from my opinion today, and it might be nothing more than conjecture, but I think it was in the morning that God visited Adam and Eve. I think every morning he came down and they had such privilege of visiting with their creator. But one day, one day, and I don't know how long it was, I don't know the lapse of time that took place between the beguiling or at least the attempt to beguile Eve from the, from the serpent to the time when she finally did see that the tree was good for food and she ate thereof and gave to her husband. How long was it from the time that God formed them and breathed into them until the time that they transgressed God? I'm not sure about the months, the weeks, the years, or whatever it was that passed by, but I am convinced of this one thing, that one day it finally did happen, and Eve was, in fact, beguiled by the serpent. Yeah. He just simply whispered to her every day that what you're looking at is all right, that it's beautiful and it's to be desired, and there's nothing wrong with what you see. Only except God had already instructed them, Thou shalt not eat of that tree. And one day she took the fruit and she ate the fruit and she gave it to her husband. And something happened in the spirit of a man. It seems like that in a moment of time, that, that something that we know and has and termed and labeled as conviction began to give birth inside of humanity. And they felt bad for what they done. They felt bad about it. Because the next verse says, the eyes of them both were open. And in verse 8 says, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking. And this is something they had heard for many days prior to that. But today was a different day for Adam and Eve. Today was not like any other day that they had uh, enjoyed the presence of the Lord. But today... This day, after they had done what God said not to do, they were afraid. They were scared. And humanity as it is uh, just seems to be their natural proclivity to hide what they have done and had known what was wrong. And though they do it, it was seemingly uncontrollably doing it, they would hide it. They don't want anybody to know about our addictions. And they don't want anybody to learn of our weaknesses. And we don't want anybody to know of our failures. And rightly so, it's humiliating to us. But yet something about it in humanity, we just can't turn it off by ourselves. We need something bigger than us, a power stronger than us, to be able to walk away from decades of sin and promiscuity. We need something that is stronger than who we are. We need the power and help of the Holy Ghost to help us. He heard God speaking and the Bible said he hid himself because he was afraid. And God, knowing all things, he said to thee, I was here and you hid yourself and you telling me that you're naked, and the question that we're focusing on in verse 11 was, God says to him, who told you that you were naked? 
Who told you of your condition? Who was it that took your problem and beat you over the head with it because it wasn't me? Who was it that condemned your conscience because it wasn't me? It could not have been a crowd of friends because looking around, there was only one other person there, and that was your wife. And I see her hiding with you. So she felt as bad about it as you did. She didn't point a finger of accusation and judgmentalism to you because she was hiding of her conviction just like you're hiding. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that I was displeased with you? Who told you that I was dissatisfied with you? Who told you that I quit loving you? Who told you that I don't want to visit you? Because it wasn't me. Brother Boyd, I I have witnessed those who have been an enemy to themselves. I've preached revivals and knowing full well who I was pulling for, only to visit with them on the sidewalk after church and them to tell me, you don't know what I've done. And I'm thinking, dear God, son, you're not old enough to have done very much, only 20 years old, and you're telling me that God can't love you because he can't forgive what you've done. I'm not preaching about a message of soiled mercy where there's no line between hypocrisy and contrition I'm preaching to you about a mercy that's pure, about a mercy that's real, about a God who said I can love you out of your sin were there not ramifications and repercussions and consequences for Adam's sin absolutely God always had a solution for the problem. He had a fix for the brokenness. He had a remedy for the, for the issue. He had an answer to the question. God's always been like that. He didn't catch him by surprise because he knew humanity. You and I talked about a scripture last night that when the apostle, the writer of Hebrews, were bringing men together to confront their issues and their problems, he said, these are the ones that you will stand before to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God who is the judge of us all, and to perfect, to the spirits of just men who are made perfect. That that's all we are. We are just men that were made perfect in the eyes of God. Oh, it's just men. You can look beyond the office, and you can look beyond the clout, and you can look beyond the prestige a man might have in this life. But if you see them as God sees them, they're just men. And I stand on level ground with you today. I'm just a man that needs God and needs his forgiveness and needs his mercy in my life. We become our own worst enemy. We beat ourselves up. And so often, and Lord only knows why, but we'll surround ourselves with perceived friends who will beat us up. Job done that. In Job's problem, there was no sin in his life. As a matter of fact, the Bible said he was a righteous man and one that eschewed evil, pushed it aside, and feared God. But yet all of the troubles fell upon Job's life and he lost everything, everything but what he should have lost and that was a spouse that tried to speak disparaging remarks to him and put him down with her. 
But God reserved the one thing in his life that could be a temptation to him. When in fact what she should have been was a helpmate. It's what we are to one another is in marriage and marital unions. We help our wives and our wives help us. We are strength to them and they are strength to us. And we become a force in the kingdom of God. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon who said a man should be able to do twice as much in the kingdom with a helpmate. But that wasn't the case with Job. She said just curse God and die. Just curse him and die. His friends said, you've got sin in your life. You are a vile transgressor before the Lord. And his friends beat him down. And his spouse beat him down. And in the New Testament, we find men like Judas and Simon Peter who failed God and their conscience beat them down. We find men like Adam and women like Eve who tried to hide themselves from God and their convictions beat them down. May I tell you, where are we going to go and hide ourselves from God? God said, if you're willing to listen to your conscience and you're willing to listen to your enemy and you're willing to listen to your friends and sadly at times you might even have to listen to the spouse that you married tell you that you can't serve God and you can't live for God. I'm telling you today, there's something called His mercy and there was a time in history that all mankind pivots on that was called Calvary and that tells me that you can live for Him. That tells me that you can be an overcomer. That tells me you can't be more than a conqueror and a victor in Christ oh God Adam you're hiding from God you mean to tell me that you think you're going to hide from the omnipresent God who is everywhere all the time You're going to hide from the God that is there in an instant. As a matter of fact, when we call on him, he's already there. While the sun that he made is 93 million miles away, and the light and the warmth that we feel from that left its surface eight minutes ago, traveling at the speed of flight, almost 700,000 feet per second, and you tell me that when I call on God, he's already there. He might be in glory, but his presence fills the earth. The psalmist said, if I were to take the wings of the morning and go to the corners of the earth, he's already there. If I were to make my bed in hell, he's already there. I don't have to wait for God to show up. He's waiting for me in the very place that I call on him. <laughs> but we choose to listen to those that we see. You can't live like that. I had those tell me that. You can't live like that. It won't be long. You'll be back out here with us. You'll be back enjoying the Friday nights, the Saturday nights, and the Christmas Eve parties. You will be back. It won't be very long. But me and God showed them. <laughs> God. It's not that I'm anything great. It's just that, Brother Boyd, I chose to hear a man of God in my life. It's just that I chose to hear the Spirit of God say, Why are you hiding yourself? Or at least the feeble attempt of trying to hide from me. I'm already there where you're hiding. 
Preacher, when I get it all right, I'll show up to church. When I get all of my ducks in a row, I'll be back. My friend, you can't wait that long. You better get to God now. You better find your place with God now because you can't wait till you get it all right. You think Adam hid in the bushes thinking when I get it all right and get it all together, I'll come out from beyond the bushes and I'll meet God back in the cool of the day the way that I used to. But no, God said that's not the way it's going to work. I want you front and center right now. You can't hide from me. I know what you did. I know who you've been with and I know where you've been and I know what you was thinking. But I called you today just like I called you yesterday. And if I didn't want to visit with you, I wouldn't have called you. (laughs) Everything was almost the same. God came down at the same time. He called me by the same name. I heard it the same way. It was almost the same, preacher. But there was something different today. I was scared. Today I was afraid. And today because of my shame I'm hiding. But God said you're listening to the wrong one. You're listening to the wrong one. (laughs) You see if we choose to listen to those on the outside we won't serve him. If we choose to listen to those that have not been redeemed by the blood, then we'll never be redeemed by the blood. If we choose to listen to those that are degenerate in their spirit and have been unwashed by the blood that flowed from Calvary, you and I will never experience the blood that flows from Calvary. You see, somewhere we have to be, as I have mentioned, the Nicodemus, and though he was a private in, in, in his attempt to approach Christ, yet he still approached him. And while he didn't want nobody to know, if he had listened to his peers, no matter how they were dressed in all of their regalia priesthood, and no matter how scholarly they might be, if he had listened to them, brother boy, he would have never met Christ. But that night he slipped away from his peers. He walked away from his constituents. And he said, I got to know this man from Galilee. I got to know this man that I've heard tell could walk on water. I got to know this man that I have heard could raise the dead simply by speaking the name of the deceased. I got to know this name of a man who can tell the leprous man that was castigated by society that he can be clean. I got to know who he is. Listen to something that God put on the inside of him called a conscience. I refuse to let it beat me down anymore. Friend, I I thank God for conviction. I thank God that, that there's something in my heart that begins to question the thing. Long before it is committed, I can question it, whether it is pleasing to God or not. I can question that. But whenever that spirit turns around and becomes my enemy, I've got to be able to recognize that and dismiss that voice so that I might hear his. I know I'm not everything that I'm going to be in God, but he's still working on me. It was like the apostle said in his writing of the New Testament. He said, the body, the, the, the seed that is sown, that that thou sow is not the body that shall be but is bare grain hear me he said it is bare grain that's all it is 
the, the, the seed that is sown is not the body that shall be, but is bare grain. And he likened it to the resurrection of the dead. He said, even so is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, but is raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, but is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but is raised in power. It's sown in a natural body, but is raised in a spiritual body. Don't look at me at what I am. Look at me as what God is going to make me. I'm just bare grain right now. You don't go out into the field and plant a whole stalk of corn. You plant a grain. You don't go in the fields and plant a whole melon. You plant a grain. Don't look at me like the world sees me. Look at me as the blood wash redeemed of the Lord. It changes how you think. What goes in here changes how you think. God so loved Adam. He so loved his creation. And while in their own heart knew that they had transgressed God, I I think that it broke God's heart because, because consequences had to be imposed on their lives. Because he knew that what he enjoyed so much out of his creation had come to a sudden halt. And from that day unto Calvary, his effort was to reconcile his creation to himself. The judges couldn't do it. The prophets couldn't do it. The sacrifices and the blood that was shed by animals couldn't do it. The priest only feebly attempted to bring together God and man. But when Calvary took place and the veil was rent in twain, and the middle wall of partition was broken down. God said, whosoever will, let him come. Let him come. Let him come to the wells of salvation. Put your bucket back into that well, my friend, that what sin had taken away and robbed from humanity, Christ in his blood and his redemptive work, put it back there so that you and I can enjoy what we are today. He's calling us. He's calling us. He called us today just like he called us yesterday. I don't know where where you were yesterday or last week. I don't know where you come from, not geographically, but where in life you came from. Whether he scraped you off the bottom, whether he took you out of the palatial places of society, whatever the case My friend, we all stand before him with a great need. Humanity stands before him with a great need. No better way do I see the love of Christ but when I see it as God is speaking to the prophet Hosea about Ephraim. The Bible says in Psalm 78, that the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They were coward in their heart. In Hosea chapter 4, Ephraim is joined to idols. In Hosea chapter 7, Ephraim is like a silly dove without a heart. And again, in Hosea chapter 7, Ephraim, the Bible said, had mixed himself 
among the people, the people of idolatry and pagan ways. And Ephraim was a cake not turned. It's done on the bottom and raw on the top. He just can't make up his mind what he wants to be. If he wants to serve me and be my child and I be his God, or he rather follow after the gods that are no gods at all, but rather are just idols. He said in chapter 8, because Ephraim had made altars, to many altars to sin, it, it makes us wonder with a cowardly heart and with an indecisive attitude and about altars to pagan gods, how could God not turn him away? But yet he speaks to Jeremiah the prophet about Ephraim and he says, He is my dear son. Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. And therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. What mercy that God has shown to humanity. What mercy that God has displayed to us. And so many times we've turned our back on him. And so many times humanity has displeased the Lord. And nobody needs to tell you of the current events and the, the current status of society today of how vile humanity has become. But if, if he said, if they will but turn to me and pray to me and repent before me, I believe that God would embrace them as he sat manifest in the flesh as God sat on the mount and looked over Jerusalem he wept over it and he said oh Jerusalem oh Jerusalem how oft would I have gathered you together as a hen would gather her brood and you would not I would have pulled you to the safety of my bosom but you rejected me and if the turning away if the turning away of Israel be the receiving of the Gentiles. He asked the question, what would be the receiving of them? My friend, when revival starts to happen in Jerusalem, you haven't seen or even imagined the revival that will happen among the Gentile world. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for they that love her shall prosper. Who told you? Who told you of your who told you that I pushed you out, that I kicked you to the curb? Who told you I didn't love you? Who told you I didn't want to visit with you? Who told you that I didn't die for you, that Calvary was not for you? Who told you you can't live in the church? Who told you you can't experience the blessing of God? Because it wasn't me. God said, I didn't tell you that. He said, he said to us in, God, in John's gospel, you believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go and prepare a place for you that where I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And somewhere on the other side, God has prepared a place for the soul that he issued at conception. And with that day that he requires that soul, he's already prepared a home for it. If it be in the redeemed. God, I want to be saved. Who told you you couldn't be saved? 
told you that? Who told you that the blood couldn't help you? Who told you that the prayers of the people of God weren't effective for you? But while there are those today, even I'm convinced in saying this, there are those that are in close proximity to this house that won't come here because somewhere in their youth, something, somebody, whether it were themselves or somebody else, told them that you can't live like that. God says you can because all things are possible to him that believes. All things are possible. You can live like this. I'm so glad to see the familiar faces here. But there are faces that I don't recognize from my last visit. I can tell you today that I am living testimony that God can help you. Not only did my mother not want to go to a truth church or any church for that matter, but she forbade me of even playing with kids that went. I'm telling you, you can live for God. Would you stand? The Bible said that Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, Matthew chapter 16. He came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? They began to answer him and said, Some say you're Elias or Jeremiah or John the Baptist or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, But who do you say that I am? For the boy, Simon Peter stepped forward and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. To which Jesus responded, Blessed art thou, Simon. And I know you can quote the rest of it, but let me stop right there. And I want to close with this. Simon told Jesus who he was and I can picture Jesus saying let me tell you who you are a man that was so impetuous he would think he would think things that shouldn't be said but he would say them and not even think about them a man that would make promises and knowing full well he couldn't live them out and Jesus knew he couldn't live them out man that was so selfish as to say tell me what's in this for me Jesus wasn't looking at that man that day he was looking at the man who would stumble out of the upper room with 119 other people and preach on the day of Pentecost that this same Jesus which you crucified is both Lord and Savior that's the man I'm looking at I'm looking at the man who would put his pen to the parchment later on in one of his two epistles and would say, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We didn't make known unto you cunningly devised fables. We saw what we preaching about. So many times society wants to tell him who he is. He doesn't need that. But what society needs is for God to tell you who you are. Blessed art thou, Simon. Lord, you don't know me. I haven't been to Pentecost yet. I haven't been to the upper room yet. He didn't say saved and redeemed art thou. He said you're blessed. 
because you're ahead of the curve. You're headed to a place where redemption can happen. I would like to present that place to you today. If you haven't been there, there is something called an altar. And all you have to do is meet God there. He's already waiting. He's already waiting. He was waiting before you got here today. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be safe in saying at least one of you, God has been waiting for years. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost when I say that. God's been waiting years for you to meet him here. Why not today? Why not now? Why not? As they play, as they play, I want us to entertain the Lord a little while. Can we do that one more time? Preacher, I didn't come to church today expecting to be around the altar. But God's been expecting you. How long are you going to try to hide from him? He's already in the place where you've been hiding. He's been there for years. <laughs> if he didn't love you, why did he show up and call you again today like he did yesterday? God, I feel heaven in this place. I feel heaven in this place. I want those who would, I want you to just come back around this front one more time. Would you do that? I feel God just wanting to hold us. I feel like he's just wanting to hold us again. Come on out, Adam. Come on out. Let's fix this together. You and Eve can't fix it by yourselves. Come on out. Let's fix it together. Who told you? Brother Boyd, our job as ministry is try to repair what the enemy has whispered to the people of God who told them. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.